Welcome to episode 70 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here with our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo Grimes, in beautiful downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. Coming to you almost live from high atop the Mellow Mushroom, and with us uh, via satellite uh, from the central coast of California, or outer space. Outer space, that's true, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, commander of Mission 23, <laughs> Aaron Porter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How's the view yeah. from up there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. see, at some point you got to understand this isn't on video, so nobody knows why this is funny to you. <laughs> so you figure out how to explain that. That'll be your job. Now we're just we're going to leave that as an intriguing mystery for the listening uh-huh. audience. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, ba- banter time can be that. Uh, I am not in the studio because my studio was flooded via a toilet in the basement of the hundred-year-old house that I live in. Mm. Uh, something that was supposed to be fixed before, but while my wife was doing some laundry, boom! All backup water that was uh, supposedly being processed down to the street uh, got processed through the toilet and into my studio. Fantastic. Uh, so now you're, and that's the reason you're sitting on my lap right now. <laughs> now let's leave that one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so sorry to hear about the flood. When did this happen, Aaron? Before or after the motorcycle accident? Ooh. Snap. Oh snap! <laughs> oh snap! Man. Yeah. You know there are there are things that I can bring up too. It's not a one way street. <laughs> uh, the, the flooding happened. Oh, what day is it today? Tuesday. It wasn't yesterday. It was. Uh, it, man, it couldn't have been. It might have been Sunday. Oh, or Saturday. That was Saturday. Okay. All right. Happened Saturday. So I'm still dealing with it. Yeah. But whatever. All right. Good life. Okay. The flood. I don't want to bum people out. Do you have some happy news? Happy banter? What's happening in your week? Good stuff? Happy banter? Uh, Well, you you have a a new hat. I've never seen that hat. This is a fan-freaking-tastic hat. I love this hat. It's a a red hat with a skull and crossbones on the front. It says Calcutta. Uh, You know, I make my office at uh, Starbucks. And about a year ago, a guy who I'd said hi to forever... um, Yeah, and I f- was pretty sure I knew his first name, but that was a you know. <laughs> After a while, you keep calling him Joe, and you hope oh, his name is Joe, so. and he's not just polite, right? Yeah, right, right. And he walks in one day, and he says, "I saw this and thought of you," and he gave me this hat. He bought it in Key West. There you go. Yeah, uh, and I wore it. I wore it for about two weeks, and then it disappeared on me. It, I, uh, yeah, I couldn't find it. But my grandkids are staying with us. The youngest grandkids are staying with us this week. I got a I got a pair of two year old twins, boy and a girl. Oh yeah. Who can get into everything and you know? find everything? Oh, it's unbelievable. And and, and yesterday, yeah. <laughs> Ruby walk, walks into my office with this hat. No idea where she there found it. There you go. It. Here, Bampy. Here's your hat. There you go. Yeah. So, I'm I'm quite happy about it. <laughs> so you get to so how long I, the kids uh, with you? 
We got three in the house: uh, okay. two uh, two two-year-olds and a five-year-old. Awesome. And uh, and you know, and beautiful fall weather, and a nice fenced yard where the kids can play. And uh, it's been a grand time, I'll tell you. All you young people out there afraid of getting old, let me tell you, fear not. Life does get better. Mm. And uh, I highly recommend uh, the 50s. Where where did the name Bampy come from? Because I always enjoy them calling you Bampy. Yeah. But yeah. what well, is that? Uh, the five-year-old granddaughter is developmentally challenged. And, uh, so, and she does so she processes things a little different than other people. And Grandpa was a little hard to say, but somehow I became Bampy. So... Uh, so now I'm Bampy to to her younger siblings as well, okay. and Allie is Mammy. They come to Bampy and Mammy's house. Cool. Well, I hate that movie, that Bambi movie. It's just so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing. I'm willing to call you Bambi. <laughs> but only if you dance for me. That's right. Exactly. Uh, the, yeah, cool. the name Bambi brings up. I, you know, I suppose other people think of animated deer when the name Bambi comes up, but I have different associations. Yeah. How about how about you there, Mr. Mondo? Man, I'm cramming it this week, getting ready for uh, a guy's excursion to the Gulf of Mexico deep-sea fishing trip. Oh, yes! Yes, kind of a last-minute excursion, but uh-huh. it's six of us, and we're headed out to Grand Isle the furthest southern point of the United States. Wow. And, uh, wow. and we, we leave, uh, well, actually we're going out early Friday morning, but we're going to leave for New Orleans uh, Thursday. Uh-huh. So uh, pretty excited, man. So it's, it's last-minute kind of thing. but So you're going to depart out, from New Orleans? Orleans? Yeah, we're going to depart from New Orleans to drive down to Grand Isle oh, Thursday, I see. Thursday night. I see. Stay at a cottage, set a Friday morning, get up. We're going to go what they call stay inside. Which is, you know, you can still see the coast. Right, right, right. It's pretty far out there, but you see the coast. The uh-huh. next day we're going outside. Uh-huh. You just see blue. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see. It. There's no, yeah, we're going some miles out. So You know, I don't do well with that. I yeah. really don't. I, it's terrible, really, for yeah. somebody who tries to be a pirate monk. I never would make it as a real pirate unless I could stay within sight of land. <laughs> well, most pirates didn't make it as real pirates, uh, so that works out <laughs> fine for you. There are, yeah. there are a couple really good books on that subject. Yeah. So yeah. Are, are these just buddies, Mondo, or is this family? No, buddies, Careful man. how you yeah. answer that. Yeah, buddies. Nice. And actually, uh, we we needed to fill a slot, so I actually got my dad to go. So he's flying down from Detroit. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, thanks for the phone call and the invitation. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> we we've we've got uh, several several guys that that are going on this trip. We're actually going to do another one um, in the spring. So so we're pretty excited, man. It's going to be fun, dude. It's going to be uh, mostly buddies, and and my, my dad's coming. So it's going to be good, man. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I hope your dad doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Mostly buddies and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got one coming up. I've got a uh, uh, camping trip coming up in just, uh, we're counting it down, two and a half weeks now with my son. Backcountry camping. The last time I went with him, I he about killed me. You know, I put on a 50-pound pack, and we go lugging up, you know, over, uh, you know, narrow trails, climbing mountains, hiking way back, you know, because he's got a high, because he's got a, you know, I, my son, I think, was traumatized by the fact that I always took him uh, camping at campgrounds. Uh, yeah, my, yeah, my my criterion for a good campsite is it had to have cable TV. There you go. Uh, so he insists on camping where no man has gone before. Mm. 
but this trip, I told him I just couldn't do it. I, I couldn't make that hike again. So we're canoeing in. I'll give you. The oh, canoeing camping. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. So, so what's going on today? Uh, we're going to have the mini meeting, and then we've got us an excellent guest, uh, an authentic Samson guy, who's got a great history, great story. Uh, in fact, we'll ask him to join us in the mini meeting, Seth Tower Hurd radio and television personality from the city with big shoulders, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, Seth. Uh, hello. <laughs> far away. Can I, can I just apologize for something real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um, Probably think about myself I'd most like to change. I laugh so horribly loud. Um, in movie theaters, people look at me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel like it's already picked up. Like I, I think I might have overmodulated the uh, recording, so sorry about that if I did. <laughs> Seriously, like I, I shouldn't go to comedies. I should just go to like action flicks because um, just people stare. I'm also six foot six, so like my head, I, I block like two rows of the movie theater anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then I, I laugh so loud people can't hear the dialogue. So you sorry. are that guy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. So. All right, man. I you know what? I have a friend who is a comedian, and he uh, a woman he really cared about came to a show that they were taping. And they had to move her. And she got there really early to be right in the front, but they had to move her because of her laugh. Oh, She wow. was too close to the mics, afraid it was going to mess up the actual audio yeah, of the yeah, show. Yeah. So I, I feel you, dog. I got the long version of that story. Got it. And we'll be right back with more pity and self-pity on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to episode 70 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. It is time for the mini-meeting. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for everyone to kind of do that together, but that's cool. Uh, My name is Aaron, and we are a company of natural loners who are recognizing the dangers of isolation and determined to escape them, natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home, natural liars who are finding freedom in the... Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves right, and natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, for corporate prayer, but today we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so. That's great. You got this stuff memorized. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges, encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. So, we have reached the sharing portion of our meeting. And the topic today, Seth, you're, you know what? I've only done this with only one other person. Oh. Topic's up to you and an off topic. Seth, give us the topic. Oh. Pick a word, any word. Guilt. Guilt. Ooh. All right. All right. So our word today is going to be happy. You are not... <laughs> Sorry. All right. Guilt. Guilt. Guilt it is. All right. And the floor is open? I guess the floor is open. Yeah. All right. Mondo will hit, edit out the long, awkward pauses. Yeah, okay. 
I picked it. I guess no, I should start or something. Go or? ahead. Okay. Um, I guess I picked guilt because. Hi, uh, Seth. Hi. I'm, hi, I'm Seth. Hi, hi well, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Seth. Uh, it's uh, it's it's different in recording than like you know yeah. kind of in the mode. Yeah. Um, I picked guilt because that's, that's good though. That was that was an example of shame versus guilt. We yeah. shamed, shamed you. you. Okay. Right. <laughs> By the way, than guilt. A couple times at the Chicago meeting, I um, I've just been like, oh, you know, something happened and we don't have time. I just did like a summary of the stuff we're supposed to read mm-hmm. every time, and I just always have this terrible feeling like somehow Nate knows. So <laughs> I skipped over some of that. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, guilt. Um, I have like the most not fun struggle because you know at least like alcoholics and drug addicts enjoy it sometimes. Um, I tend uh, to uh, struggle way more in the um, guilt and legalism uh, type mm. of uh, type of world. Um, I guess you know real briefly my story of how I encountered Samson. Um, I was working as a um, kind of a journalist for a few magazines and was um, assigned to write about him. And I showed up and uh, these guys definitely. Uh, rocked my life somewhere in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, um, and uh, just got out of a really, really, really bad um, uh, unengagement, I guess you call it, uh, and that was um, about four years ago, and the the thing that uh, continues to really mess with me is basically I turned my back on um, everybody I loved for a girl who treated me really bad, uh, and I, I just... Uh, read a lot. Um, there's a line in uh, Dante's Inferno that says the deepest circle of hell is reserved for those who in times of great moral crisis turn their back on their friends. Mm. Um, and so, anyway, whenever I'm stressed or um, just under a lot of pressure, it tends to be that I uh, feel guilty for stuff that happened years ago. Mm. And, uh, you know, and some people are, you know, tempted by, you know, different things, alcohol, um, pornography, punching strange in the face, whatever. Um, I tend to really, really struggle with going back to guilt over and over and over again. So, guilt. I'm Seth. Thanks, Seth. Seth. Well, I'm Aaron. Yeah. I have been... uh, Part of my personality type, evidently, is that I am shameless. I've been processing what that means. Mm. Part of that, uh, and I don't disagree with that, that that if I've figured it out and rationalized it, then I can just move forward, which is really good as it concerns the gospel, and it can be really bad because sometimes, uh, we were just talking about this on Sunday, sometimes guilt is good. If you've done something wrong, you should feel guilty. And that's kind of the flip side of the coin of being a... Being a person who's trying to live out the gospel is you're trying to take out guilt and shame everywhere that it's at. But sometimes it is very much the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this we need to take this seriously. Let's deal with this. I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. So when you bring up guilt, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is everything I think I know about the gospel. But the real thing at the core is dealing with guilt in the right way, accepting feelings of guilt so that I'm drawn closer to God. And I guess that's the difference. That guilt that brings condemnation is not from God, but the kind of guilt that draws you into his heart is from God. 
and a person like me sometimes has trouble knowing the difference between those, so I toss out both. And so I am trying to be on a journey of letting that piece back in in an appropriate way. So that's what I think of with guilt. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I'm Mondo. Hey, Mondo. <clears throat> hey, Mondo. Um, what Aaron said really resonates with me. Uh, I'm kind of an extremist. Um, where at one point, I really didn't feel a lot of guilt. I thought that was signs of weakness. I didn't want to, you know, be perceived as weak. Uh, then a lot of life happened, mm-hmm. and and my definition of guilt switched over to. Well, if I feel guilty, that means I'm seeking the Lord and I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm uh, probably a legalistic approach <laughs> to to seeking Jesus, but feeling like I needed to have a piece of guilt somewhere in me yeah. to to be perceived as a person who's on the right path, mm-hmm. to be humble. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized later, it, there's a balance. There's a good guilt and uh, a healthy uh, a healthy guilt and a, a very bad guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now I'm really trying to discern every situation to mm-hmm. make sure, okay, is this, a, is, this, is this a guilt that I put on myself or is this a guilt of, of uh, where I feel, um, you know, God may check me on something to mm-hmm. say, look, you know, that was wrong, yeah. but he- here's the right way to do it. You know what I mean? Is it more God-driven or is it me-driven? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 weird man because um even even i think guilt for me maybe it's my pride as a guy i just don't like feeling guilty because then i feel then i feel like i've either done somebody wrong or you know done something wrong and i don't want to be perceived as the guy that's done something wrong to somebody or something um but but it can be healthy in, in keeping perspective for me uh in my pursuit of christ yeah uh it can be very healthy uh knowing that i do need him yeah yeah. And not just myself. I mean, without guilt, I mean, really, what's the point of pursuing Christ? I mean, if you don't have that in a, that healthy guilt, you know what yeah. I mean. So, um, so it's it's a it's a double sided. It's a definitely a coin, man. You flip mm-hmm. it one way, it's one thing; the other way, it's another. And, um, and and for me, it's just making sure as I walk through life, I can define what is what. Is yeah. it is it healthy, or is it bad? Is it me? Is it Christ mm-hmm. and healthy, or is it me and bad? Yeah. You know, so. Um, I'm Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Well, I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. Hey, Nate. Uh, to me, the great gift of the gospel, the, the the marvelous thing about being a Christian, is it makes it possible. God has made it possible for me to to disconnect guilt from fear. Uh, and um, because I tend. Uh, I, I grew up in a home where guilt and fear were very much connected. Uh, if you are guilty, you better be afraid because punishment is coming. So guilt was a terrifying thing. I didn't want to admit guilt because that meant I was going to get punished. Uh, so I would lie to cover up my guilt. Uh, I would make excuses. I would deflect. I would shift blame. Uh, I would... Uh, you know, be very, very defensive, uh, very, very elusive, and it was uh, out of an awareness of guilt and a fear of punishment. The great news of the gospel is that we do not need to fear punishment any longer. 
It's not as though our guilt is gone. I mean, our guilt still exists. We're as guilty as we ever were. Uh, except that um, Christ has taken upon himself our guilt and the punishment for our sin. Which is a very, very... It's a liberating thing when we, when we can grasp it. It's a difficult thing to believe. But I think it's absolutely essential for, uh, for moral progress, especially for progress and recovery. Uh, classic 12-step recovery, which is you know, the route in which I've entered this way of life. Uh, you know, it begins in step one with an acknowledgement of powerlessness, telling my story, and really telling it, and we say this in the path, you know, uh, in honest detail, I describe to God and to my silence the course and consequences of my attempts to live apart from what God. Uh, uh, stage three. In honest detail, well, it used to be that uh, telling my story in honest detail was absolutely terrifying. It meant I was calling in, you know, fire, incoming fire on myself. I was, I was, you know, transmitting my position to a huge artillery uh, emplacement, and I was going to be blasted. Only, uh, and so I, I didn't do that until I believed that I was in a safe place, that I was not going to be punished for telling the truth. Um, and then uh, to get to what we call uh, the course and consequences work in Samson uh, or what in 12-step recovery is called the fearless moral inventory to sit down now and take a really honest look at my character it's my, my character strengths and what's more terrifying my character defects and uh, to begin to catalog the wrongs that I have done to other people, which later on I will be called upon uh, where appropriate to make amends for. All of that just terrifying because I spent years denying my guilt. Uh, But uh, healing comes by accepting my guilt. And really, I can't taste the sweetness of the gospel until I admit my guilt. The bigger my sin, the bigger the cross, the greater my salvation, the sweeter this life, the more forgiving I become of others as I see how greatly I, how much I have been forgiven. There's a real gift that comes to, to acknowledging my guilt, not minimizing it, but, but not living in condemnation over it because I know God's not mad at me anymore. The wrath of God has been poured out upon His Son. Christ has taken all the punishment for my sin. And God actually is glorified in uh, you know, His redemption of a man as guilty as I. One of the, great, one of the reasons that Allie began to trust my recovery, you know, in the beginning, the only person more skeptical of my ability to recover than me was my wife. And... Uh, and I'll tell you what, she kept a very safe emotional distance from me in the beginning. It's a miracle that we lived in the same house. And, uh, you know, we found civil ways to interact, but that she didn't trust me any farther than she could throw me. She'd been married to me for 20 years. She'd seen me, you know, turn over new, a new leaf on a regular basis for 20 years and, and every leaf with her. So she didn't think uh, I, could, I would ever change. What began 
to give her some confidence that a real transformation was taking place was uh, when I started to become much less defensive about my guilt. It used to be that whenever she would mention, even suggest that I might be doing something wrong, or even if she would, you know, question my omniscience by having the audacity to, you know, uh, tell me that I had a turn coming up when we're on the interstate, uh, I would immediately get defensive. Yeah, of course I knew that was it. no, I didn't do that. I because I couldn't stand to feel guilty. I couldn't stand to feel guilty um, because guilt meant fear, it meant rejection, it meant punishment, it meant all kinds of things. And so the only the only escape I knew from that fear was not to be guilty. The only way not to be afraid was to deny my guilt. When I learned that I could be guilty and not be afraid, uh, <laughs> I actually invited her into my step four process. You know, I said, Allie, uh, I have to do a fearless moral inventory of you know of my character defects, and uh, I'm blind to so many of them. I really need help in recognizing where my defects are. She looked at me like I was crazy. Like, that, did I actually want to hear that? And she actually got enthusiastic about the, about the project, and she was very helpful. Uh, and I have to admit that there were at times, you know, there were times when the game got a little tired, you know, and I, I uh, and you know, I, I uh, you know, got worn out and would start to get a little defensive. But there's so much to be gained from uh, admitting uh, my guilt, because now uh, amends become possible, healing becomes possible, the gospel becomes sweeter. Um, it's much better to live as a forgiven man than as a blameless man. Uh, when I convince myself and try to convince others that I have done everything right, that I haven't wronged anybody, uh, that my motives are the purest, uh, that I made all the right decisions, uh, uh, that I'm a paragon of virtue, I mean, that just gets old. It gets old for me. It gets old for other people. That's bull. Truth is, I'm a broken man who God loves and the penalty for my guilt has been taken it's okay for me to be guilty and uh, in 12 step recovery uh, when you get farther down the road uh, you know the language is uh, uh, became willing quickly to admit our shortcomings quickly to make amends and what I'm the, what I'm trying to do now is to admit my guilt early. I still I still uh, still struggle with it, but I, it's a it, I've found it to be when I can get past, you know, this deeply ingrained fear, a very sweet thing to admit my guilt. Uh, thanks. I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I've been talking to myself Help me get these thoughts out of my own head I don't believe Most days I don't believe 
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and welcome to our special guest. Down, has uh, been down here for the week. Uh, when did you arrive? I uh, came down Friday afternoon and uh, did some mountain biking. And uh, yeah, you've just been riding your butt off all over Middle Tennessee, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's like the promised land if you uh, you like mountain biking. It's pretty amazing around here. So yeah. So you've been on some great trails, and you've made a road trip from here all the way down to Lynchburg. Yes, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Uh, so a little uh, historic Americana action going on. That's beautiful um, down there. Isn't yes, it? it's uh, the town where uh, Jack Daniels uh, mm-hmm. is uh, distilled, and uh, a dry county, which is really, really, really funny. <laughs> now, I don't suppose you got there in time to do the distillery tour, did you? Yeah, no, we did. Did you? That's what we went down. Wasn't that superb? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing, and uh, you know, kind of the entertaining fact is that. Uh, you know, Jack Daniels um, mm-hmm. actually bought the still off of a preacher when he was 13 when another preacher convinced him that he probably shouldn't preach and uh, sell whiskey. Uh. And so he uh, he began making uh, his signature whiskey when he was 13 and then uh, made it until he um, kicked a safe, got an infection in his foot, and died of it. Yeah. So there's the, uh, there's the story. A little rage so, killed him. Yes. Yep. I was going to make some rageaholic comment right there, but you got to it first. That's good. <laughs> that is good. We don't know if he was an alcoholic, but he was certainly a rageaholic. He certainly was. And yes. it killed him. Yes. Yes. That That is an amazing story because I actually went uh, and went to a, a very strict Baptist at a Baptist camp and asked him very innocently, is that, that pool table in the back room of this building? Is that appropriate? I could take that away from you. And at, uh, at about 16 years old, got my first pool table because the Baptist felt guilty. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Oh, beautiful. I had the coolest house ever because we had our own pool table. It was outside because we just didn't care. It was for free, so yeah, yeah. it warped, and we kind of learned the curves. It was awesome, but he it was really, the exact uh, same story. You should have found a way to make his truck sinful, and then you, uh, you know, you could have your first vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> when you're that age, you're short-sighted. Old men like us, yeah, we get yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Tower, we first met uh, by telephone, I think. You, yeah. Uh, Scott Phillips had uh, done a little couch surfing, wound up at your place, I think, yeah. in, in Chicago. You know Scott. Yep. Scooch from back in the day. Uh, I think he's the one who gave you a copy of Samson and the Pirate Monks, as I recall. Yeah. yeah. Um, finish that story out. Yeah. Uh, so basically, I got assigned to um, write about it for a magazine. So mm-hmm. um, I work in Christian music, so I was down here for some stuff and uh, just showed up uh, at a meeting um, thinking, you know, I was going to be the, the guy, the 
cool detached guy that wrote about it and mm -hmm. uh just kind of wound up going holy cow um <laughs> hit me at uh just kind of from the story i shared earlier hit me at uh just the the right point where i really really needed to hear some truth and uh that's been um shoot four years yeah three four years um took me a couple more years to uh consistently get something um going in the south suburb of chicago so we've got a real uh, little, but I think growing meeting there of, you know, hopefully we're, you know, averaging 12 or so. So it's, um, you know, it's not huge in the Samson world, but I think we're the only one, uh, that because of kind of the, the membership, I think we might be the only, uh, meeting that actually rotates every other week between two places about 20 minutes apart. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, that's just, uh, when we went to one place, we really started to see people drop off. If we go to the other part, we see people drop off mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, our guys are cool with, um, you know, one minute it's five minutes away from them, and the next week it's twenty-five minutes away from them, and uh, and so that's our little uh, commuter thing. Well, yeah. that's cool. What a great innovation. Yeah. So. Now, tell us a little bit about your story. First of all, how old yeah. are you? I'm uh, twenty-eight, okay. um, and uh, one of my uh, good friends turned oh, two of my good friends turned thirty this week, which is part of the reason why I'm in town. Mm -hmm. When I was like, you know, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, I remember just being terrified of of turning 30 and now I'm 14 months away from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was actually, um, uh, I was doing some work at, uh, the, you know, the Starbucks right by where we record the podcast yeah, yeah. and these high school girls came in and you know, that you've got the communal table where you need to kind of feed your laptop power. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they're probably 15. They come in and start passing around Justin Bieber trading cards. And in that moment <laughs> I realized I was really cool with turning 30. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, Franklin wow. experienced some Bieber fever this last yeah. week. Justin uh, has shot a Christmas video on the square right, right below us. Right below us, yes. Just this building has been blessed by the Bieber. What? Yeah. Bieber was there? Bieber was here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you could have sold tickets to the window. Yeah. It was a mob scene here a few nights ago. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I don't think I've ever heard a Justin Bieber song. Yeah, I actually have neither. I've never seen Jersey Shore, so I I think I'm doing pretty well in life. Very yeah. good. Uh, we have have we just made ourselves completely irrelevant to the younger demographic? Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, listening anyway. Yes, we just endeared ourselves to everybody else. Yes, says the man who records Christian children's music. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So where does that leave us? That's how I got to Samson. Yeah, That's yeah. Next. Let's back up a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about 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 growing up. Yeah, I uh, grew up. What's your story? How do you find faith in Christ? Yeah, I uh, grew up on a sixth generation family farm in the town of Fishhook, Illinois. Um, so. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it's got the zip code tattooed on the, the wrist there. Okay. Yeah, my, um, yeah. By the way, part of the, the zip code tattoo is uh, both, you know, for my heritage and also because uh, I'm a cyclist. And one time I got hit um, road biking, and a lady left me there, wow. hit and run, and uh, I didn't have any ID on me, which is really scary. Yeah. You know, and to be John Doe and injured and everything. Yeah. So now I figured, well, if you know that happens again, they kill me. At least they'll ship me home. Um, <laughs> Body will rest in the right place, but uh, because the zip code is tattooed to your wrist. Yes, um, okay. but uh, grew up. I on thought a, it was a concentration camp. Yeah, time, I know. I no. get the I get the prison question all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, grew up on a sixth generation family farm, um, actually with um, a, a, you know, honestly a, a father who uh, suffered from uh, bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that uh, definitely had a um, you know a pretty big impact on the way I saw the world. 
mm. uh, and uh, really didn't want to um, admit that, um, you know, kind of at all, just sort of buried it down. Uh, I guess maybe a big turning point for me came, uh, you know, I accepted Christ when I was a really young kid, um, raised in a, a church where, a uh, really small church with, uh, you know, one part-time pastor and 70 people and uh, a choir uh, that you wouldn't want to record. Um, but uh, the, the only way I can explain it is, that, you know, that God works there because the people are just so dang faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they, uh, I mean, the church operates on probably 15% of its own budget and gives the rest away. Yeah. So just incredibly um, giving humble people. Um, probably a big turning point for me came when I was 18. Um, I had, uh, you know, my dad actually uh, took off, uh, you know, probably a few weeks after I graduated from high school. Uh, My mom worked at the Christian school where I went. And so at that point, basically it was on. I was, uh, you know, completely, found myself completely financially independent Mm -hmm. um, and uh, played, uh, I got a a basketball scholarship to junior college, so, uh, which is where all the glory is, let me tell you. And uh, (laughs) um, I, uh, that was you know, maybe one of the turnkey moments of my life. Um, I actually blew my knee out that year. Um, I was working three jobs to, uh, you know, try to help my mom a little bit and, uh, and just kind of hang in there and make my car payment, you know, have enough money for gas back and forth to, uh, pursue the dream of playing ball and stuff. So my knee went out, um, the, the family split up and, uh, and then actually nine 11 happened. Mm. Um, and so all that's within a, a six week, uh, period for me. And so, this year is particularly, um, you know, maybe helpful in looking back and seeing where I was at a decade ago and, and how faithful God was and all that. Mm. Um, from there, I actually uh, wound up doing nights on a Christian hit station in Chicago when I was 19, um, and I've been there for uh, nine years. Uh, and so that's that's kind of a little bit of the, the background of, of um, where I'm at. Um, yeah. Okay. Single guy. Yeah. Uh, social guy. Here's uh, I don't know. Have you ever met a stranger? Uh, no, I'm. Uh, yeah, I just I just made a mountain biking friend. I uh, yeah, uh, I know. Well, I, while I was getting a refill on my coffee, you made another you know lifelong connection with a cyclist. That uh, was uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a fun thing to watch. Yeah, uh, always been pretty uh, pretty outgoing, pretty open. Yeah, and, uh, and just you know, I guess kind of naturally connect with new people. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Any downside to that for you? Um. Yeah, it's that uh, the downside is that you. It's very easy to want to kind of uh, project an image, you know, that yeah. I'm somebody who works in media or that I'm somebody that's into mountain bikes or whatever other hobby I've got. Until you know, you want to throw that out there so you're accepted. Until you eventually kind of start to uh, to believe that yourself, and then mm-hmm. if any of those things falters, then you don't, you know, your self worth takes a hit. Yeah, um, because your identity is in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's it like? Uh, living in Chicago, uh, you know, single guy, uh, serious about being a Christian. Yeah, but but serious about being a, a member of society. Yeah, um, Chicago is kind of an interesting um, mashup uh, I, as far as faith goes, because mm-hmm. you know down here um, everybody's a Christian in Chicago, or you know at least you say you are. Yeah. Um, in Chicago, everybody is kind of a um, like an ex something. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I went like to church eight times to my grandma when I was fourteen, and mm-hmm. um, so I'll kind of call myself a, a person of faith. So you get a lot of that kind of middled. Um, oh yeah, there's probably some kind of God out there, um, mm-hmm. but uh, 
you know, but I don't know what it is. And honestly, it's a, a very, I don't mean this to, uh, you know, offend anybody, but it's um, a very ex-Catholic area because it's a very strong Catholic mm-hmm. area. And, you know, it you see all across our country people leaving the church. Right. Um, and so you get a lot of um, kind of ex-Catholics also that have yeah. very, um, very complicated, uh, uh, you know, feelings if they left kind of about how they feel about church. But you also have, you know, a pretty decent amount of ex-Protestants, so... Not a, I think it's the um, like third or fourth most unchurched area in the country. Really? Yeah. In that case, a lot like uh, it puts me in mind of Colorado. Uh, let's speculate about that a little bit. I do notice that even here, even in Franklin, it seems like everybody's got a church history. Reminds, yeah. reminds me of the old story. Have you heard the story about the uh, the guy that's uh, marooned for years and years on a desert island? Finally, of uh, uh, a, a passing ship notices his smoke signal, and they they come ashore. He's so excited, so he tells the rescue party. He says, "Wait just a minute, I just got to go pack." So, uh, so he runs, and as they're standing at the beach, they look around and they see that there are three buildings on the island. So when he comes back, they said, uh, "Who else is here?" He says, "No, nope, just uh, nobody, just me." But there's three buildings. He said, "Well, yeah, yeah, that that one right there, that's that's my house." And then he points to another. He says, and, th- "And that's my church." They point to the third building. and say, "What's that?" He said, "Well, that's where I used to go to church." <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the story here. There's uh, everybody kind of used, almost everybody used to go to church someplace else. And I've noticed that an, uh, that an increasing number of people uh, are m- migrating away from weekly attendance at a worship service. Uh, drifting away from institutional church uh, in the way that they, you know, that classically has been defined. What do you think's See, going? That's, on? What do you think's going on there? Yeah, I mean that is. Uh, we're coming up on our third anniversary of the church plant in our triple wide mobile home, mm-hmm. and it is a refugee camp for those people. Yeah, uh, you know that's. It. Eighty percent of the people there are the people that you're talking about, Seth. They're yeah. the people with stories, but they're the people that, after leaving for five to eight years, most of them, if they were really passionate about their walk with God, did home fellowships. Right? They they mostly tried to make home churches mm-hmm. uh, where they bucked the institutional thing, and we don't need that to be church. Scripture tells us we can just be together, and then they're coming back into this context of of the refugee church. Mm. And it it is absolutely fascinating. I just had lunch with a guy last week uh, that, you know, at this point he is totally in, but he's in because he says, well, I love being there because I don't have to be there. I'm there because of this, this, and this. But that doesn't make church for me. Like it becomes a very refined view where Sunday morning does not equal church, which is amazing in the Samson context. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that we have to acknowledge even in these groups that we form, in these Samson groups, that we are being the church yeah. to one another. What do you got, Seth? Um, can I just kind of spin this maybe a little um, a little different way? and Just really what I, I – first I made fun of, honestly – um, and I, uh, something I've been working on is trying to be uh, less um, less negative on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. 
I tend to call things I don't like the the Nickelback of. So if I got a bad Starbucks cup of coffee, <laughs> the Starbucks Franklin would be uh, the Nickelback of Starbucks, and right, I'm yeah. trying to put some of those habits down. Yeah. Uh, but I used to make fun of the, um, the the whole hipster thing, which is so huge in my generation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I graduated from high school in 2001, uh, and I guess kind of the sub. Uh, you know, I was a varsity athlete and very involved in athletics and stuff. But the the subculture that was uh, predominant, be it you know little towns, big town cities. Um, the whole, I, I guess I'd say, punk social movement where we all kind of got together and cared about, you know, pick your topic of choice mm-hmm. uh, was was huge. Um, and uh, kind of looking back at, uh, you know, kind of it was punk and then before that it was uh, the, the hippie movement where we're all going to get together and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, create peace and live off the land and that type of thing. And as we've gotten into the 2010s or whatever this decade is, um, it's just the explosion of the hipster culture, um, which I guess the thing that they're raging against is any kind of uniformity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it really started, I think, a decade ago with something that was kind of niche. And it goes back to Andy Warhol and stuff. But it's something I've never um, understood in that uh, it, the, the subculture tends to like something until other people like it. And then they move on just because it's kind of been found out, which is bad news if you're a band. Because um, <laughs> your early fans are always they're like, oh, hey, look at that. They, um, they paid their rent this month. They sold out. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 as opposed to mocking it, I've really started to wrap my head around um, that this is the paradigm that, uh, you know, for maybe 15 to 30-year-olds at this point, uh, this is what we're working with, and this is it's something that I totally don't fit into uh, into the context of. Um, mm-hmm. Do we maybe explain what it is a little more? Or, I mean, kind of how to... No, no, I, I, I think your five-minute preamble on not mocking by mocking it was yeah. perfect. Okay, good. Yeah. um so yeah i think that's uh kind of with the you know leaving church and everything it's the the hyper individualism of this decade is certainly a a big question of how do we how do we handle that yeah yeah uh well i just know that uh, we need each other i have to be in relationship but i have to be in genuine relationship yeah, let me let me jump in. Let me bridge the gap there before you go on. Yeah, go for it. Because I think that is the bridge with with this church plant in a very rural place. So it's very different. Nobody's hipster in and Ben Barzi. Some of you remember him as a guest. Yeah. Yeah. This last Sunday night he preached and he made some comment about being hipster and cool. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Well, that's a contradiction, isn't it? You can't really be both." Thus, once you're cool, you're not a hipster anymore. I mean, it's exactly what you just said, which yeah. is just, which is brilliant. Like my boss kept asking me why everybody was wearing like '80s eyeglasses and yeah. and stuff, and uh, I told him they were hipsters. That that's what we were seeing on the street, and he asked what that was, and I just said, "Ugly is ironic is cool." Oh, there you go. Okay. But then it loops back around again because yeah. cool starts it over. So, anyways, it is it is brilliant because it's hard to be in the city. I spent two months back in Los Angeles this summer, and people think way too much in the city about these things. You go to a rural place where nobody's actually trying to be trendy in their religion, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you have just people trying to address their needs. And overthinking your needs ends up, becoming the stuff that's written about in Christian books. Mm-hmm. Blue-collar mm-hmm. people aren't writing those books. Mm-hmm. And so it 
it really, for these people that aren't trying to figure out the next way, they just frickin' want it for themselves. They were in church for a reason to begin with. They were hurt by church. They abandoned the idea of institutional church, not because of some great philosophical treatise, but because they were hurt. Mm-hmm. And then they come back. What they are looking for when they come back is, can we just be honest? Yeah. If this starts to smell of church in the way I knew it, I'm out. Yeah. I just want to be with people that I can trust and in a place I can be honest and be trusted. Hmm. And I think that's where what you're saying, Nate, it bridges the gap for everybody. And that doesn't mean that we don't all bring our crap back into that. Yeah. You know, that just brings a different yeah. set of problems. Yeah. But it is, I mean, those are the problems worth living right. when we're actually in community with each other. Uh, it's no utopian place, but that's what people are looking for. Yeah, and I think that's crucial for Samson. We don't want Samson to be faddish. We don't want it to be a fad. It's not the cool place to be, uh, the hit place to be. Even uh, that evaporates quickly. It needs to be the safe place to be, the place where you can make real relationships. Be completely honest. Uh, be accepted for who you are, and 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 you don't have to pose. I think that's why it's so crucially important that Samson, every Samson meeting, be a persona-free zone. And if you have to fit a mold in order to fit into Samson, now suddenly we got posers. Well, uh, I think our time has been flying here. Uh, so good to have you here. So glad you made the trip down. Uh, I'm hoping, my young, tall, uh, unhip friend, that you uh, that you will move here. I think uh, this is a. Can I do a 30 second rant on that? Please. Um, just when it comes to the dating scene in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, you know, like the women are all like they're vegan, mm-hmm. um, and they are into high fashion and they mm. want to live in like a condo downtown yeah. and I, and so many dates that go on or over in the first 15 minutes because I learned those three things Yeah. and uh, to me okay you control my diet <laughs> you make me wear a certain thing and if I go outside there's no grass isn't that by definition prison <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, dude Tennessee girls are just better and uh <laughs> I feel like like I'm on the I'm kind of in the promised land here because like nobody thinks I'm weird because I wear a Levi's hunt deer I'm just a person it's yeah. kind of really great and they um but this is a this is a pretty wonderful place to be and we will um we'll kind of see what the next year holds you know well I I'd sure love to have you down here so Seth ask Nate if he has learned to work his stove in the last four years. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll let you wrap up with that question. Can I end on kind of a, a funny story that yeah, we, yeah. we just both saw? Um, one of the times we got to hang out, uh, you were speaking in Chicago, mm-hmm. and so I got to kind of meet you uh, for breakfast downtown. And Chicago is a good um, breakfast eating out city. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely give it that. But we drove back at just one of the funniest things I've seen, because it was way too early in the morning for this. It was probably like 10.30, but there was a wine tasting. And... Uh, 
I just remember driving back down the street to your hotel and all these broken bottles. And these people went to this wine tasting. They'd all gotten drunk by 10.30 a.m., mm-hmm. bought really expensive wine, and then dropped it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, uh, that's one of the things I think of when we, when we see each other is our, <laughs> our time seeing the 10.30 a.m. drunks that probably bought 300 bucks of wine and <laughs> broke it on the sidewalk. Well, uh, you actually, uh, sitting here a little while ago, you and Aaron finally realized that you did know each other. You had seen each other. And yeah. you saw yourself... Oh, you saw each other we at my house. Slept in the, we slept in the house. Yeah. yeah. Right? Two, two or three years ago, yeah. uh, you were in town, Aaron was in town, there was some, I think... Uh, some of the guys from Catalyst? Yeah, They, they were exactly. in like a VW it was, van. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It was, it was LV. LV Hansen and his running buddy were with us, so we had a... <laughs> <laughs> and we had a bunch of uh, young bucks staying in the house. I think there were four or five guys crashed at the house. So Aaron, who, by the way, is a fantastic cook, uh, uh, volunteered to make breakfast. He's going to make creme brulee French toast. He got up. He had, he had all the ingredients. <laughs> got it all well, you know, loaded hey, up. Hey, and, and just, just in case, I mean, that, that might sound more impressive than it is, uh-huh. but it's not. It's that impressive. Go ahead, Nate. Oh, I got to tell you, that that lives in, um, uh, yeah, that was just a legendary meal. But what really is amazing about it was, <laughs> I couldn't figure out. I didn't want to wake Allie up, and I couldn't figure out how to turn on the stove. I couldn't get the oven to work. Remember? Yeah. So, uh, but I didn't know how to work the grill because I always grill. Yeah. So we fired up the grill, and Aaron actually figured out how to make creme brulee. French toast on the grill. And Mon- Mondo was there that morning. Wasn't it? A, wasn't it stupendous? I wasn't there. No, no, no. no. Aaron was there. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you're uh, if you're struggling, yeah. if you're struggling okay, coming to Samson that, that with earlier? is um, is uh, anorexia, yeah. then Aaron is your recovery by himself. <laughs> I, I got to say, Nate, earlier you said the 50s are great. Right there you proved that it's only great because you don't remember why it's not great. <laughs> that's it, that's so, it. Mondo, we hope you enjoyed the breakfast you yes. didn't have. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you should have been there, Mondo. You really should have been there. All right. Next time I'm in town, creme brulee for you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's been a great visit here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We will be back. Nails at the altar, my prayers make them tall. Nevertheless, oh, nevertheless. I like to eat at my friend Cause's place. With gumbo and red beans are thrust down my face. Still the main reason why I take so much space Nevertheless, oh, nevertheless I'd like to help Richard Johnson reveal Blood damaged homes off of Elysian Fields I'm not much help, but it helps me to heal I need to heal I smoke a cigar to help me to think Gives me a lift when I'm starting to sink I know they're bad for my health and they stink Nevertheless, oh, 
All right, and we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Just a reminder, we're coming down to the very end of this year's 48 Hours of Frankness Tour. Uh, hundreds of guys this year have experienced that in, uh, weekend intensive that takes you all the way through the path in 48 hours. If you really? Want, wait, wait. How, would, how do I know that? I don't believe that. Uh, I need somebody to actually send in a note saying they were there. I what? think you're making all this up. Well, then they should send us uh, something to the mailbox. Uh, we mm. haven't given our email address here in months and months. We probably should uh, let the world know that they can reach us at samsonpodcast at gmail.com. samsonpodcast at gmail.com. Call with, uh, send us a note with anything. Uh, story of your life, story of your group, story of 48 Hours of Frankness, any question, any comment, death threats, anything you want to do, uh, mail them in. Uh, no, la- no, man. I was there last time we kind of got one of those. I don't want any more of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's not cool. Last weekend, 48 Hours of Frankness. Go ahead. I do want to say, until someone sends in a note saying, I was at 48 Hours and this is what it meant to me, I, Aaron, the, what am I, the Commodore? What was I this week? Yes, you're the Commodore. Geez, you're always changing my rank. It's very difficult. I am going to believe that Nate Larkin is a liar and nothing can be trusted that comes out of his mouth. Someone save Nate from lying purgatory and send a note (laughs) to the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. Well, last weekend was uh, Richmond, Virginia. This weekend coming up, October 7th through 9th, Philly. There are still a few spots open in Philly. All that one's filling up quick. And then October 21 through 23rd, Denver. Uh, you can get more details uh, on the website at samsonsociety.org. Well, it's been a great visit. We will see you again next week with our guest, upcoming guest, Scott Rowley, next week on the Pirate Monk Podcast.